1: From multiple abysses, aka responsible, proper social distance shit talking from spare bedrooms across exurban Atlanta. Welcome to the Godless Heathens podcast, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Don. I'm Jeff.
0: And I'm Jerry. This is a podcast by atheists that talks about a lot of things, not just atheism. Especially these days, we will challenge your assumptions and ours too. Definitely not here to preach to the atheist choir, but to critique, ridicule, and poke fun at anyone. Especially ourselves.
2: So join us as we examine the crossroads of politics and religion from the secular perspective. And remember, don't believe everything you hear in this podcast or anywhere else for that matter until you've independently verified it for yourself. In other words, duck, duck, go that shit. Episode 101,
1: and it's going to be another very special episode. But first, we need to give a thanks to Dr. Daniel Miller from the Straight White American Jesus podcast, who joined us on our last episode and had a wonderful conversation. Thanks to Dan for coming on, spending some time with us. And now on to Jeff
2: with the drinks. Tonight, I'm drinking something from the back of my fridge, which I need to do on occasion, clear room for, for new stuff. This is a Monday night brewing, which we seem to go to a lot. Situash, uh, situational ethics. I've already had a few sips. It must be pretty good. This is a vanilla barrel age affogato imperial stout, and i and I forgot what. Oh, it's thirteen point nine. So, it's it's This is a strong. favorite of the pod. This I know. I, this one's
1: been on enough to know that I know. I know that this is a series of beers yes. that they do. Yep. Uh, and this is just one of, of the many yep. uh, flavors of beer that that's under that that umbrella and still in my fridge well not now (laughs) that one's out that's definitely a go-to then
0: so it's like dessert beer night because i'm drinking a southern tier nitro creme brulee imperial milk stout those are good
2: i've had that yes and
0: it is 10 percent. and the interesting thing is it says it's 9.6 ounces so it's a regular can but the nitro takes up two and a half ounces of product. And honestly, maybe that's not that interesting, but I didn't realize that when you drink a nitro, you are drinking less beer.
2: Well, is there a little capsule in there like there is on the, the Guinness?
0: Not down to the bottom of it, so maybe not.
2: Huh, interesting. I wonder how they do that. It's extremely sweet. Yeah, Southern Tier, yes yeah, a lot of their stuff is kind of sweet, but it's really flavorful.
0: Don, which red blend are you drinking?
1: actually sticking with the dessert theme I'm sipping fireball and chasing it with coke Ooh, so uh-oh. nice one, one of those nights <laughs>
2: <laughs> we're all high ABV tonight <laughs> that's
0: true <laughs> but we don't need to be no nope. or we don't we don't have to worry about it because we did this interview well before yep that's true we
1: can get hammered <laughs> we had an opportunity to sit down last week with I, I Think Jeff's boyhood friend and idol. Is that the best?
2: <laughs> I got a man crush on him. I'll admit it. It's intellectual crush. Yes. Yes, exactly.
1: But yeah, Dr. Vincent Racaniello from the This Week in Virology podcast. That's right, people. We got Twiv. We got Twiv in the house tonight for you. So Vincent sat down with us and we had a really nice long conversation with him about COVID, vaccine, vaccine.
2: Boosters. What works, what doesn't what work. What works, what doesn't. Variants, yeah. the whole. I think we pretty media. much covered the whole. Yeah, yeah media. A yeah. little
1: inside baseball podcast conversation. His yeah. business venture. We're going to play that for you, and then we'll be back after it's over for a little bit of a wrap up and some recommendations. So we'll see you in about an hour.
2: And so we'd like to welcome to the show Vincent Racaniello, who is known as Earth's Virology Professor. <laughs> He's a professor. At Columbia University in New York City, among other things. I'll let him explain the other things. But uh, where I even uh, ran into him was he's the host of a weekly podcast. Well, it's more than weekly, I guess it's got several episodes a week called This Week in Virology. And I started listening to that back early when the virus started going around, and it's just been an incredible resource. Ever since, and you have many more podcasts other than this week in virology. The other one I really like is your weekly Q and A with V and A, which just anybody can. uh, It's live on YouTube, so anybody can ask a question on there and get it answered live in real time. So that's that's an interesting podcast also. And then he's also. I'll let you start uh, talking about the uh, the incubator that you're working on as well. So
3: yeah, well, so I've been. I've been at Columbia my whole career almost since uh, 1982. I've been working on viruses for 40 years. I've been teaching, researching, podcasting, writing. I wrote a textbook, which is now in the fifth edition. And about 12 years ago, I started podcasting. And the first podcast was This Week in Virology. I just wanted to capture some of the conversations we had that nobody ever heard. And so, you know, it slowly got bigger and bigger it's not huge it's not joe rogan right but it's you know for a geeky virus podcast it got and then of course when the pandemic hit it just went up tenfold and uh so we're doing a lot now we do three episodes a week we do uh tuesday thursday and friday plus the live stream Uh, and then i have five other podcasts in all different areas of science with people i know who are experts in those fields so uh i i they explain it. Uh, and um, so because of the last year, a lot of enthusiasm from people who have told us over and over that they get their information from us, uh, G- Daniel Griffin and I, Daniel Griffin is an infectious disease physician who's been treating lots of COVID patients, as you might imagine. He and I have, uh, re- we both have nonprofits, and we he, we decided to rent the office studio space uh, in Manhattan. So... We, we found a space two blocks south of Penn Station, which is a great transportation hub, and we leased it. We're there now, and I'm building out a studio where I'm going to do all the, the content. I'm going to keep my position at Columbia. I'll take the subway up whenever I need to be there, and I'll continue to teach. But I want to do everything from there and, and have people come by when they're traveling through New York and interview them and so forth. So bring it to the next level. I I hired a fundraiser hoping to raise substantial money so I can hire some help to help me out and make a company that's going to go forward whether I'm there or not. I'm not going to be around forever. So I'd like to make... It's a science communication company because I think we've learned that people need to know about science and the best place to get it or one of the best places from scientists. So that's what Mm -hmm. we all are. So I'm excited about that. I went in today and... um, I took the train from my home, and I walked two blocks, and I'm there. It's just ideal. Uh, I'm no longer driving. I drove 38 years, 72 miles a day to Columbia. And a couple of uh, months ago, I said, that's it. I've had it, and uh, I'm going to take the train to my incubator, and I'm loving it. Boy, it's just great. So um, today I ordered all the sound insulation material that I need for this room because it's a little bit echoey. It's a big room, and... uh, it's going to be fun, and I'm looking forward to that. So that's what we're doing, and and you know it's going to take. I'll probably be ready to record sometime in September. And the first thing I'm going to do is actually live stream a virology course. So I teach a course every spring and summer at Columbia. I always I record the spring lectures. I release them on YouTube. But this experience with the live stream, which I which we started only about eight months ago, it's amazing because as Jeff said, people come. They ask questions. Most of them are pretty nice. Not everybody. Right. Most of them are pretty nice, and I want to teach a course that way and see how that goes. It's be like being in front of a class, except you have people all over the world, yeah. and that hmm. so this is a cool experiment. Yeah, so that's what I'm doing. Do you
0: get quote skeptics that want to jump in and zoom bomb you? Or
3: yeah, we do. I mean, I had to get two moderators actually early on, uh, two people who came to the early ones. Actually, one of them it was a Columbia student who took my course. And I told her about it. She said she would come. And I asked her to be a mod and one other person. And they try, they kick people out who are who are, seem to be trolls. And hmm. yeah, we get all kinds of people who attack me and and my co-host Amy. And we try to ignore it and keep the the, the tone upbeat. Right. Yep. The whole point is, we're scientists. We're telling you what we know. We don't know everything. When we don't know something, we'll tell you. But don't tell us we don't know what we're talking about because we, we sort of do. I mean, I'm not – I was I was alerted to this. I did a podcast recently with Lex Friedman who has a really big podcast, and he said, you know, you have to be careful about talking down to people because they don't like authority. They don't like people who think they know everything. And I said, I totally get that. I don't talk down to people. I think all questions are great. Um, I teach a virology course to undergrads, and I, I understand that people don't know things. But when people says you don't know what you're talking about – That that kind of gets to me because I don't know what I'm talking about about a lot of things, right? But when it comes to viruses, I know a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe more. Yeah, it's an interesting experience. It's an interesting experience to deal directly with the public in in a real time thing, right? Where there's no recording, there's no editing, and so forth. And I fell right into it because I teach. I I teach 150 kids in, in, in an auditorium. And I got used to dealing with it live, so I'm, I actually enjoy it. I think it's great.
2: Yeah, I always just get a kick out of the people who do the thumbs down before it's even started. It's like...
3: Yeah, you know, on YouTube, you can do thumbs up or thumbs down. And some nights, yeah, we have five before yeah. we even start. They like, go, what? What's what's this about? <laughs> hey, love me, hate me, but watch me. But, you know, that lately, we've had 700 people watching yes. live. yeah. Mm-hmm. I have 90,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is pretty amazing for a virology podcast, right? So I think that tells us people want to know science from the people who do it. So I'm going to keep it up.
2: Well, I, I think the biggest uh, draw for me, and I think for a lot of other people, too, is you're you – know, we're cutting out the middleman. And that's kind of what our, our yeah, conversation yeah. tonight is, is when you – if all you do is read the newspapers or listen to you know, mass media – you know, you're going to be freaked the hell out, you know, for the entire time where, you know, if, if you get down to the facts and that's what you guys put out there, you know, the facts as you know them.
3: Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. I, I think,
2: super important has really been beneficial. That's to a me. good
3: point. Yeah. Cutting out the middleman. I like that. Yeah. yeah because, I mean, frankly, the press has, has made a, a real mashup of this pandemic from day one. I mean, there are a few people who, who get it right. But, and I think it's, we're to blame the, the, Epidemiologists, the scientists, the clinicians—they say wrong things, and it gets amplified, and they never take it back. I mean, one of the things I've learned over the years: you got to tell people when you're wrong, and admit it. Yeah. And, and a lot of scientists don't like to do that. Even Tony Fauci, you know, he's been wrong. He doesn't like to say, "Yeah, I was wrong." I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I think people like you more <clears throat> when you say you're wrong. <laughs>
2: well, I, I guess part of it is if you're in a political position, you know, which which he is, and even the CDC, yeah. I think, is is political, even though it shouldn't be. They have to kind of play that Mm -hmm. fine line, I guess, where, you know... Mm. Well, they were convicted
1: of, we found out about this just today... But we don't know everything about it. That was the problem. It was like they didn't know everything about the the, the virus the the day it was, you know, first announced. (laughs) It was like we knew more the second day than we knew the first day, which is a good thing. And then the third day we knew even more. And that was also a good thing. But not in the eyes of some people. It was that was like a strike against you. It's always changing. You know, that's that's science,
3: people. You know. No, it's a fast moving field. And. Something you say on day one be, may be different on day 10, but I think you should say we were wrong. So the thing I remember is in the beginning, the CDC and WHO said, no, nah, don't wear masks. They don't work. And then they changed their minds. They said you should wear masks. And I think if they had said we screwed up, mm-hmm. yeah. we were yep. wrong, that would have helped because then people got skeptical and said, why should we listen to you anymore?
1: I thought at first when they, what they were saying was don't go out and buy up all the masks because the medical professionals need them. More, more than yeah, I think soccer balls I think that was them. part of it, yeah.
3: yeah, I think, but the but part of the messaging was don't just don't wear them they don't work and to a certain extent, which was to try and keep them reserved for the medical profession, but that was a mistake yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: so what did the media and you know I'll use air quotes around it because obviously there it there's a lot that makes up the media. What does the yeah. media either get wrong or? Does it choose to focus on things that aren't as important or can't keep up like like and we do talk about it on our pod. And I used I used to work in media and I'm not approaching this from a defend the media standpoint at at, at all, but I know how it's produced and I'm trying to figure out what they need to do or how they need to do it. And actually trying to kind of squeeze it into what kind of I know their processes are, which might they they might not connect. Mm. So what does the media what should they what can they do to be
3: better? I think one of the main problems is they go to the same people over and over again. They go to people who have some prominence nationally, internationally, and they're not always right. And they say things that are wrong and they get amplified, but they keep going back to them. And I've always told the, the writers I know, here, here are 10 more people that you've never spoken to. Speak to them. And they'll pick one of them and then they'll go back to the old people who I feel have some kind of an agenda. That's why they're out there. And they, they amplify the wrong message. So they – throughout the whole – I think part of the problem is that you know, the media wants to sell – their product, right? And to do that, you have to shock people, because if you tell them something that's maybe true, but not so interesting, you know, the earth is round, people don't care. So they want the shock value. So that's the way the pandemic has been portrayed, right? From the very start, oh, it kills 20% of victims, right? This I remember the first months, the case fatality rate, 20%, 15%. And they didn't get that this is a squishy number, right? Because you can never, the denominator is number of infections diagnosed and that's always underestimated. And then it differs depending on where you are in the world. If you're in a rural place where they don't know how to take care of the disease, of course it's going to be higher. It was different in different parts of China uh, at the same time and at different times. They didn't get that. Then the whole issue with immunity, oh, how long is immunity going to last? Are vaccine... Based immunity going to last? I mean, they ignored fundamental immunology, which tells us immunity lasts a while. It doesn't last forever, but memory lasts a long time. Antibody net levels never stay high after immunization. We know that, and vaccines in general don't prevent infection. They prevent disease. That's how these were tested. That's how every other vaccine is tested. Yet the headlines are vaccine effectiveness is waning. Well, it really doesn't matter. First of all, it depends what you mean by effectiveness. You have to define it, and they don't get that nuance. So that's another issue. And then finally, the variants as they started to arise back in November of 2020. You know, this is a fast-moving pandemic, and people issue a little bit of information. It may not be definitive, but the press grabs it and say, oh, this is the conclusion here. These variants are more transmissible. They're more virulent. And they escape vaccine immunity. And all of this is probably not mostly true, right? And the, the, the New York Times continues to say the, vaccine, the the variants are more transmissible and Delta is the most transmissible. And this just isn't supported by data. And they will not revise that. So, and now we're stuck with Delta, and that, and that kills me. Whenever I see a headline, I saw one today. Uh, Delta is fueling outbreaks among kids. Well, any SARS-CoV-2 would fuel the same outbreak. It's not any different from Delta. Um, there are some differences that that viruses have, but in the, in general, the vaccines are still working. But the press wants to portray that they're not. So every step of the way, that's been you know predictions of doom, and I just don't get it. Why don't you be more positive and tell us about things that are working, which is right now the vaccine works to keep you out of the hospital and keep you from dying against any variant. And I think that's really important. But people seem to not pay attention to that. So
0: how does the New York Times of all places, like what's driving and I'm asking you to to speculate and if you don't want to, you don't have to. But what drives them to not fix that? Like it's such a basic mm-hmm. flaw. Why why continue with it? They've got they've got medical experts on their staff. They're the paper of record.
3: Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> So I, I think it's a number of issues. First of all, this is an a, a problem for virologists, right? And there are not a lot of virologists out there, but suddenly everyone has become one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> The near, the, most of the virologists don't want to talk to the press. So the people who they're talking to are not really virologists. Some of them are epidemiologists. Some of them are clinicians. There's a very well-known cardiologist out in L.A. who's, And, of course, social media drives this. People are on Twitter, and the, the press picks them up because they're on Twitter. I got a call from a writer in uh, Denmark the other day. He said, oh, I saw your, your your thing on Twitter. I want to ask you about That's how they pick up stories, right? And who knows what a, what a person is on Twitter you can't really tell, so I think they they uh, pick up uh, people who are making a lot of noise, but not necessarily the experts. Now I had a I had an experience with a, a writer for the Times who is has been covering this the whole time. She writes every day one article or so, and I wrote to her months ago. I said, you know, this whole narrative you're pushing that the variants are more transmissible that's just not supported by the data. I can give you 10 virologists who will agree with me. And she said, well, you're the only one that I know saying that. And I, and I said, well, that's the problem. You don't know who to ask. You're talking right? to the wrong people. You're talking to the wrong people. So I gave her five people. She picked one of them, and the rest she ignored, right? And, and I know that she's still pushing that narrative. In fact, I wrote an op-ed that got published in The Times with Amy Rosenfeld, and uh, it said basically – the drive of the pandemic, the outbreaks are fueled by human behavior, yes. people getting together, demasking, mm-hmm. you know, you know. just the beginning of the summer we had a big outbreak because people started getting together. And it's not because the variant is more transmissible. That may be a little part of it, but it's certainly not driving it. Yet they continue to, to call it the most transmissible variant. So, you know, there's a the property of the virus that makes it maybe – a little more fit to move through and it displaces other variants but you know the the drive of the outbreak is totally driven by uh, people's behavior and environmental conditions uh, as well and so she doesn't get it and in fact Carl Zimmer another writer at the times also is bought into this more transmissible cuz it's an easy way to explain uh, i think what's going on but if they re- and then you know they They write articles on a quick turnaround. They don't have time to look into an issue really deeply. You know, on TWIV, we do two hours per episode. We talk about something for two hours. And we go through every aspect of it. That's why people like it. But on the other hand, it's a long podcast. That's why we don't have one and a half million subscribers, right? We have ten times less because it's too long. But that's what we want to do. And I think the press doesn't want the long stuff either. They want the short-form and they don't have the time. you know. Many writers have told me, I don't have time to research this fully. I just need to talk to people. I am trained, they say, to talk to people and digest what they say and write an article. And they're not, they're not trained to do research, and that's, that's journalism, right? Uh, that's it, it definitely
0: is. is. It, 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 yeah. it definitely is. And, and they, they will also say that the, that the audience doesn't have the time and patience that... Yeah, that yeah. would be required, particularly in a world of Twitter and TikTok and sure twenty-four hour media stimulation. But that right. that you're, seems you're right. to be right. that that would that would seem to make your job more difficult in communicating out uh, a complex scientific
3: issue. Well, we we attract people who are interested in the science, like Jeff, right? He he seeks us out and he listens. This is good. I'm learning. And many people have found us that way, but it's not the majority by any means, right? People in general don't want to think about hard stuff. Uh, they don't want to think too long about it. People want to be entertained. I totally get it. That's why entertainers do really well on YouTube and, and so forth. But there's a small fraction of people. I think there are more than we already have. And it's And So it's easy for us to teach them because they're a receptive audience, right? They're what I call the low-hanging fruit. Getting to the next step of people who may not really want to learn science but should, it's harder. But that's what we try to do. And I've always – from the very first podcast we released, I always said I'm going to be very patient. I'm just going to go one – week at a time. And I'm sure we will increase our numbers. And look, we were ready when the pandemic hit. Nobody else was as well positioned as we were to start talking about you know, yeah. the pandemic, right? And so, but patience paid off. And now I think we've accrued a lot of of additional listeners. and I think a good number of them will stay. And we've learned a lot of things. We've moved into YouTube, which we hadn't done that much before. And I think that's a different audience. So it it's all, it is hard. You're right. But I'm encouraged by the growth we've already had.
2: well, I was gonna say the other thing that doesn't show up in the numbers is I will pass on and I'm sure other viewers yeah, and listeners yeah. are doing pass on little tidbits i don't I don't you know give them the whole hour and a half sure. uh, you know <laughs> deal <laughs> right. but you know I'll- t- you know they'll well, ask questions you yeah, sometimes I do.
1: yeah, Jeff's been known to give a twelve rundown. Uh. yes
3: yeah.
2: little snippets here. <laughs> right Actually, now.
3: that's a good point. Many people have told me that. You don't really know your reach because we tell a lot of people don't listen, yeah. and but they still benefit. yeah. yeah.
2: You know, one one point point I wanted to to say on the transmissibility thing and the human behavior component is anybody that that goes to the south and goes out, you know among you know like a restaurant or thing like that, or like Jerry mm. went on a road trip down to Florida. He saw, you know, things were back. It was like everything was back to normal. Nobody was masking. Nobody was distancing. It was just all bets off. And then people yeah, wonder yeah. why, you know, the Delta is taking off in
3: the South, especially. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there was a huge Delta outbreak in India, right? You know, six months ago. And people, that was the first big outbreak uh, where Delta was involved. And people said, oh, this is this is a killer variant. No, India had just come out of lockdown. They were having religious gatherings of a million people at a time. What do you expect is going to happen? Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. country's so crowded; they don't have very good health care. All of that fueled it. And but people know it's all Delta, most, so it's very frustrating. And the more frustrating is when my colleagues pick up the more transmissible without reading the reports. You know, without looking at them carefully, they just repeat it. And Many of them are guilty of that. And uh, it's really inexcusable, and that's part of the. I mean, I blame the press a lot, but it's also those people who just repeat things without looking at. I said, so if you really look at the data, you'll know it's not just a virus; it's its behavior.
2: Another example of that too is transmissibility, you mm-hmm. know, because that's another thing that you hear in the press. And I know the CDC a while back came out and they used that study from um, it was on Cape Cod. Yeah and, yeah, and drew their conclusions from the PCR test that, that uh, people that were vaccinated had the same viral load mm-hmm. as yeah. unvaccinated people. But they didn't drill down to say, well, yeah, they may have a viral load, but it decreases very quickly. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Actually, this has been a good point, too. So as you know, very early on, we, the, many, uh, many tests, diagnostic tests were developed based on PCR, polymerase chain reaction, which is looking for nucleic acid usually at a nasal swab, right? And I've always said for years, be careful because that's not infectious virus you're looking at. That's just pieces of RNA. And, you know, early, depending on where in the infection you are, you could have a little bit of viral RNA load or it could be high. And that means the the PCR has to run fewer cycles if there's a lot of RNA. The cycle threshold was a number that began to get used uh, later last year. But you know anybody who tested positive, we'd say, go away for 14 days. And that just wasn't right, because if you have very low levels of RNA in your nose, you're not infectious. There's no need to quarantine you for 14 days. It took a long time for people to get that and to really say, okay, if your cycle threshold's over, say, 32, you're fine. You're not going to have a problem. And that's that's another uh, narrative that I think is finally lulled. But, there's still physicians who believe that this is indicating infectivity, right? That study in um, Provincetown where they say, "Oh, huge uh, infectious fire." And now, to that, to this day, some people continue to say, "Oh, Delta has such higher uh, infectivity." It's not true, because no one's measured infectivity. They've always they've only measured RNA load. It's really hard to measure uh, infectivity from a nasal swab. Now, is that what the
2: antigen test? Is that more accurate for detecting live?
3: Yeah, virus, so the or? antigen test is looking for proteins that are made by the virus, right? So there the virus has to be multiplying in order to make those proteins. So an antigen test is really a better indicator of whether you have an active infection. Now it doesn't it doesn't really tell you how much virus you have and, and your how potentially infectious you are. But in one um In some of these studies where they compare uh, vaccinated versus non-vaccinated people, and, you know, they say, oh, the PCR loads or the RNA loads are similar. When they do an antigen test, then the vaccinated people don't have very much antigen, which tells me that virus is not really multiplying in them. So I think when you couple the two, you you can get some really good information.
2: Uh, let's see. The other, the other thing that's kind of, okay. then we have a kind of a list of, of questions that, um, some of our friends have asked us to pass on mm-hmm. to you. But, uh, one of them that's real common too is, and has been in the press a lot, is the need for a booster shot. And you, you kind of oh, talked yes, about that yes. early, but, um, so what's the deal? Yeah. So,
3: so now, oh. uh, the last, I don't know, suddenly the last month, you know, CDC, WHO, many, uh, many agencies are suddenly saying we need a booster. And where the heck is this coming from? So, you know, as you know, many people have been fully vaccinated in, in a number of countries and they have done studies to, uh, to follow them. So let's, let's do a little science first before we get into this. So when you get infected, you make an immune response to the virus and there are two major components uh, in, your, in your blood and in your tissues. You make antibodies which clamp onto the virus and prevent it from infecting cells. Those are called neutralizing antibodies. And they're really easy to measure. And that's what most people measure uh, as a, an indicator of how well the vaccine is doing. So shortly after people were vaccinated, you have high levels of antibodies, which is normal. And then they go down. Which is also normal. And as people measured the antibodies and saw them go down, then they began to freak out and say, "Oh my gosh, And, and <laughs> antibodies are waning. And another thing, it's like, they always do folks. What's the big deal? I don't get it. This is where the press doesn't get the nuance, right? So the antibodies going down, yet people are still protected against severe disease, against hospitalization, against death, by the vaccines. That's how they were tested. They were never tested to prevent actual infection. They were tested to prevent disease. So as the antibodies levels have been dropping, people have been calling for boosters to push them back up again. Why? The only thing I can think of is that if you have high antibody levels, you will not be infected. So if you go a few months, maybe up to six months after your vaccination, you have high enough antibody levels that will actually prevent infection. But that's not going to last. Eventually, that goes down. You're still prevented against getting serious disease. And that's because of the other arm of your immune response, which are T cells, T T lymphocytes, which are also made against the virus. And they can kill an infected cell. They don't actually prevent the virus from infecting. They kill the infected cell. And that prevents you from developing serious disease. And those are still present. They're not waning or going away or anything like that. But they're being ignored. So this drop in antibody is driving the booster narrative, right? People are saying vaccines are losing efficiency, which is not quite correct. Mm-hmm.
1: They're implying they're, they're losing effectiveness.
3: They're losing effectiveness against preventing infection, mm-hmm. but they're still preventing you. Every study that's been done, you they keep you out of the hospital. They keep you from dying because that the T cells there can do that. So... I don't see the need for a booster because what's going to happen? You, boot, you, you boost people, okay? Their antibody levels are going to go up, but in six to eight months they're going to be down again. So what are you going to do? Boost everyone every year? That's not a public health strategy, in my opinion. I don't think that works. So I think there are certain populations that may need boosters or third shots. People who are transplant recipients who are immunosuppressed, maybe really older people whose uh, immunity is poor to begin with. But everyone else, I don't think you need it. We don't have the evidence yet. Now, if in a few months we start to see rising hospitalization among fully vaccinated people, then sure. But we're not seeing that. In every study that's done, they're still really good at keeping you alive, the vaccines.
0: How much lead time, though, does a booster need? Like to create, to distribute... Like, if they decided today that, you know what, a third shot is
3: mm-hmm. necessary,
0: mm-hmm. how long does that take to crank into production where where you could, you know, you could get them at the local drugstore or wherever you would, yeah. you know, get your vaccine?
3: Yeah, you would start to be, you start to have higher antibodies, uh, well, since it's, you've already been vaccinated, so now we're talking about a memory response, so three, four days, your antibodies are going to start shooting up. And by 10, 11 days, you're going to have high levels of protection. Well, I was, so a- I, I was
0: asking a little bit of a different question, though, like to create the ve- to create for the United States another 200 million doses. Like, how, how long does it take to oh. create them and distribute them and decide who gets them when? Like, how much? Yeah, yeah. How much lead time do you need for that?
3: Well, th- we have a surplus in the U.S. So apparently we have n- hundreds of millions of those between the Pfizer and the uh, Moderna and then J&J also who, who have uh, explored. You know, they were, they were originally a one-shot vaccine and they've explored a second shot as well. They all have enough to, to boost uh, most of the U.S. population apparently. Uh, they've been cranking it out from day one. And that's one of the interesting features of this pandemic. Uh, the U.S. took a, a chance early on and said, we're going to pay you to make a ton of these vaccines, even though we're not sure they work yet. And it, the, the gamble worked, right? It turned out to work. But um, it, it uh, they've now got their production capacity high up. I don't think that's the limiting factor. But getting it into people, yes, that's a problem because as you know, we're just over 50% of uh, Americans who are fully vaccinated and the, and the rest is not going very well. So I don't even think you would get those people who have already got two shots to get a third. I don't think you'd get all of them. People have said, okay, I got my two shots. I don't want more. So I think that would take longer. Yes. So, I mean, you're you're suggesting, I think, that we just start boosting people now, right, in, in anticipation. And I have to say, I don't see a downside to getting a third shot, right? So that's not why i'm I'm arguing. I'm just saying the science doesn't say that they're needed. That's all.:
0: I thought that the booster shot was going to be a little different than the first two. Exactly that was the, exact it's just the same. I had. Yeah, It's the same shot that you got before. you're just getting it again. There's no difference in the formula.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, there are two approaches. There's this. The thing we could do right now is just give you a third shot of the same vaccine, because we have a lot of that. Now, all of the companies are modif- making modified vaccines to accommodate the variants, right? So they started with the alpha, and now they've got Delta variant vaccines. Uh, they have to be tested in a small phase one trial, but that doesn't take a long time, and that's ongoing for all of them. So It's not clear, though, that you would need it um, because if you boost your antibody levels, um, that's that you're still protected again. And and anyway, as I said, even without a boost, you're still protected against disease. So, I mean, really, the the idea of a boost is to try and inhibit infection and protect all the people who are not being vaccinated. Okay, that is the bottom line, because there are a lot of Americans who are not vaccinated that don't look like they're going to get vaccinated. So by boosting the ones who are already vaccinated, maybe we can cut down circulation of the virus and protect them, right? That's the strategy. So
2: that's kind of my thought on it, too, is if we had maybe 70, 80 percent of the U.S. fully vaccinated, we wouldn't be even talking about a booster shot, would we?
3: Yeah. No, no. If we had gotten 80 percent, then circulation would have dropped and we would not have this issue at all. No. Because as you know, the, the pe- most of the people entering hospitals are, are unvaccinated. So that wouldn't be happening because uh, there would be much lower circulation. Yeah. So it's really unfortunate that we couldn't get more people vaccinated.
1: Unfortunately, is that how we're eventually going to get to that number? Is the pandemic of the unvaccinated?
3: Yeah, I think we're, that, that most people will end up being infected. I mean, it's going to take a couple of years because we go through cycles of, of uh, outbreaks, right? So now this summer... In many states, the summer outbreak is waning, but now everybody's going back to school. And then as the weather gets cooler, that helps uh, the virus to spread as well. So we'll have big fall outbreaks, huge. We're going to have huge college campus-associated outbreaks, school-associated, and then it'll go through the winter. It'll wane in the spring, and then probably in the summer, there'll be another. Yes, so people eventually will all get infected uh, it will take time, but unfortunately, a certain fraction of them will die, and that could be prevented. That's the sad part, right?
2: Well, do you see the peaks being lower and lower as more and more people get natural immunity, or is that not necessarily
3: the case? Yeah, but In theory, it should be, yeah. right? But I think we still have too many uh, unvaccinated or uninfected people, especially in other parts of the world, right? Most of Africa has not been vaccinated or infected so um, it's going to take time because you know you have you have peaks of, uh, of outbreaks, but then you exhaust all the susceptibles that are available, and it stops. It's self-limiting, and then the susceptibles build up again. And, and it, you know it's a complicated issue that you would you might say, well, why do you exhaust them? Well, because there's still you know so many millions of people left who they're just not available, right? The, the virus uh, doesn't just spread everywhere; it gets transmitted in very specific ways. And not everyone transmits, actually. Only about 20% of infected people end up transmitting to other people. So there are a lot of limitations on how far uh, an outbreak can go.
2: So, Dan, that was kind of part of your
3: question, too, is like the worldwide Yeah, picture. that's
1: what I always... Um, are, are, what's going on other in other parts of the world where they're not... I mean, it, we, we complain about the vaccination rates here in America. <laughs> and... Yeah. But you know, you think of, of whatever, third, when you think of third world country, whatever country pops into your mind, what's going on in, in those countries where, I mean, not, even, not a third world country, but Japan just had the Olympics and they were like, what, 5% vaccinated at the time or something mm. like that? It was yeah. some crazy low number. What, what's, what, are we just not hearing about it ravishing these other parts of the world or, 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 or what's, going, what's going on there?
3: Well, there, there are outbreaks elsewhere and in we we don't get a lot of press about those in the U.S., right? The U.S. press is pretty U.S.-focused, but there are certainly outbreaks in other countries. Uh, Some of them are quite substantial. And most countries can't make their own vaccines. That's the problem, right? There are only a... Maybe two dozen countries that can make vaccines and and in, in big quantities. So those countries that don't make them are depending on the other countries. You know, some of those countries have bought vaccines and are waiting for them. You know, Australia is just getting its first significant numbers of vaccine doses. Yeah, and that's not a third world country, right? No. but they have no they have no vaccination capacity. Canada, the same thing. They were smart enough to contract for several vaccines early on, so they're they've got their supply insured but many countries in Africa are depending on other countries. And, you know, there are, there are organizations that are stepping up to give vaccines to those countries, and that's the way it needs to be done. But they always take second priority, and that's why it's going to take uh, a long time. Now, a very interesting paper came out a few weeks ago. We're going to have the authors on TWIV. They, they did a, a modeling where they said if, if uh, wealthy countries gave certain amounts of their vaccine to countries that don't have it, what would that do to the global outbreak? And and they modeled a significant impact on the outbreak. If you just gave a certain, you know, they said a certain percentage, 10, 20, 30, 40% of vaccine you give away, you can make a real impact on circulation because we're all in this together, right? A virus that arises somewhere else, ends up here. And you can cut that back if you give vaccines to other people. And I think that's really the solution here, which is happening, but not fast enough, because we need to vaccinate 7.5 billion people, and we don't have the production capacity to make that in in a year. That's the problem. I'll donate my booster shot.
2: You also
0: (laughs) don't hear we're all in it together
3: frequently enough. No, No, you're right. I mean you hear people complaining about uh, they're worried about the I mean this is always what, what kills you know people say I'm worried about the long term side effects I'm like why are you focused on yourself there are people who can't even get vaccine and they would love to have it because they're going to die otherwise it's just <laughs> you know the this long term side effect worry is really you can't even put your finger on it because we don't know of any long-term side effect with any vaccine, right? Most of what we know we find in the first six months or so. So it's a theoretical idea because, okay, the mRNA vaccines have not been in people before. So if you say there could be a long-term effect, I can't say no for sure. That wouldn't be right because I don't have the data. I would say it's unlikely, but people hang on to that and they say, uh, I don't want to take it. But I would say, I think you ought to stop worrying about yourself because a lot of people, hundreds of millions of people have taken these and, you know, yeah, we're in it. It's altruistic, right? Getting vaccinated protects other people. Sa- same thing with wearing a mask. It protects other people. So many people are complaining about doing that. It's helping, protecting other people and that's a good thing, right? <laughs> no, I do. I agree. We should do more of that. We should do more of thinking about other people. Yeah. yeah. Now, that's as a
1: as a fully vaccinated person other than wearing a mask and not going to Coachella or something like that um what should <laughs> sturgis yeah yeah as as you know as an adult and also uh for uh children under the age of the vaccination age what should we avoid
3: doing or and, and what's fine to do well first of all even if you're fully vaccinated it's good to wear a mask just I mean, I would say there's no good evidence that you're going to transmit, but let's be safe. It's really easy to wear a mask and protect the kids, mainly in the unvaccinated people. Large gatherings are a problem. Um, and unfortunately, that's what a school is, right? A classroom of 30 kids. Multiple classrooms problem.
1: of 30 kids. Yeah. yeah. Now, along of one windows. another.
3: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, some some states are not allowing mask mandates, and that's unfortunate. But you can do testing. You know, test costs have dropped quite a bit now, and you could do testing multiple times a week and then use that to segregate out in, you know, infected people, and that would really cut down. I mean, testing is a big deal, if even if you have vaccines, because you can take the people who are infected and remove them from the pool and prevent them from uh, transmitting to others. So I would say, besides all the things that you said, vaccination, masking, dis- keep your distance, keep the crowd numbers low. Testing, if you have to be in a crowd. So in a classroom, the teacher needs to be masked, all right? You can't do that if it's not allowed. Stay a distance away, you know, over six feet, and make sure you're testing. Especially the teacher needs to get tested every two to three days. And the kids, if you can, would be great because then if there's an infected kid, you pull that kid out, and it's not going to start a chain of transmission. It really makes – I mean, studies have been done showing that a good – testing strategy in multiple, especially in in nursing homes, for example, does a really good job at keeping down the number of infections.
2: So I want to ask a personal question on that. My wife is a teacher at a middle school, and their school uh, decided that masks are optional.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And the county we're in has a real high transmission rate right now. So that's just a real stupid thing on the part of the school. Um, But so what she does is She will wear a mask unless she's teaching up front. And then so she'll, you know, Mm -hmm. she's distanced from the kids, but it's it's not a well-ventilated room at all. There's no windows to open, things like that. Now, you know, she's fully vaxxed. Both she and I had the virus um, early last year. So we got the, you know, we got our booster, basically. Yeah, you did. So, I mean, so she should be fairly safe from... Getting the virus, and if she got it from transmitting, is that kind of
3: so? So she's unlikely to to transmit it. Okay, she could get infected and get a mild illness, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it really wouldn't be of any consequence. She'd unlikely be in the hospital. But you guys are the most most vaccinated of everyone because we studies have shown that if you're naturally infected, and then you get a single vaccine dose you have an incredible Im- immune response that will h- take care of any variant. Uh, it's it's really impressive. So I think the worry is, is not for her. The worry is among the kids, really. Um, and if they're not going to all mask, then they're going to transmit. And the key would be to test them frequently enough so that you pick up the infected one and, and pull them out. Because your wife has been infected and vaccinated, her her likelihood of transmitting is, I think, vanishingly low. Okay as well as getting seriously sick. So I, I think you're in the best possible position. Yeah,
2: because the other component to it is is we have a grandchild. I think I've talked to you about this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's 15 months old. He's still being nurse. You know, my my daughter got vaccinated. So, you know, I guess she's passing on some of the antibodies yeah. or whatever protection to him. So, you know, for my wife to go from teaching on a Friday to seeing him without a mask on Friday, is that... There's probably some risk there, right?
3: Well, if she stays masked in the classroom, I think yeah. she's okay. Um, Except
2: for being up front teaching.
3: So then maybe she'd want to wear a mask with the, with with the te- 15-month-old, right? But the, the, the child is getting antibodies from the mom, so those are going to be protective as well. And, you know, the key is if you test frequently and you get a positive, then you can treat. You can treat with monoclonals, right, and uh, prevent any issues from happening, yeah.
0: So, how concerned should vaxxed people be of unvaxed people?
3: I, I don't think they sh- they need to be concerned. I think the unvaxed people need to be concerned about each other because they're giving each other infections. But I I continue to wear a mask. I'm fully vaxed. <clears throat> I just continue to wear a mask because I don't want to get any kind of mild illness. Right. Uh, I'm not going to go to the hospital. I'm fine with that. But I don't, I don't want to be inconvenienced with a scratchy throat and a cough. I do a lot of talking and recording, and I just don't want it to be interrupted. So that's why I wear a mask. Uh, so, I mean, in the home, I don't. But at Columbia, I'm required to wear a mask. Uh, on public transit, I have to. And so when I'm walking around the street, I just wear a mask until I get into my car. If I go in a grocery store, I wear a mask. Just because I don't feel like getting a cold. You
1: you can't get sick. You got six podcasts, and one of them does three episodes a week. You have no time on your schedule. Exactly. Exactly.
3: And you know what? I have never missed a podcast due to illness in 12 years. It's really amazing. I mean, I'm 68 years old. (laughs) Dang. I don't know why, but um, I've been pretty lucky. Yeah.
0: So Jeff asked a personal question, and I'm going to ask a personal question, but kind of hopefully expand it to because this is the kind of thing that that I don't see a lot of information on. The woman who cuts my hair is aggressively anti-vax. She Mm. sees 200 people a week and is, you know, it's hard to wear a mask when you're getting your hair cut. Plus it just, and this is very unscientific, feels kind of gross. But I've gone to her for 20 years. I'm going to drop her, I think, (laughs) Because get your razor, man. I, I I don't have to be bald yet, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my hair. I'm while not I can. bald either. I'm shaved. There's a difference. But am I am I overly concerned with her uh with going into that shop because of it, or should I should I just chill? And Jeff and Don, you don't get to answer that last question.
3: <laughs> well, I. My hair cutter wears masks. Wears, her shop is all masked up, and uh, they used to have dividers, but they took those down. I wear a mask, and she cuts around it. She just Sometimes she'll ask you to hold it when she takes it off the ear so she can trim around the ear, but the rest goes pretty easily. And um, But she's Chinese, so she knows the masking business, right? Because she used to do it in China all the time. She has no problem with it at all. So I think if you're, your haircutter is seeing 200 people a week, she's probably already been infected, probably asymptomatically, and mm-hmm. is unlikely to be uh, transmitting. I would, I would highly doubt that she is seronegative. Is so um, you, sh- you could wear a mask, right? I can wear a mask. mask. Yeah.
0: It, it's Like you said, it can, be, it can be a bit of a pain, but it, it might also be her kind of aggressively anti-vax attitude that is just kind of rubbing me the wrong way.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, you got to. I mean, Daniel Griffin would say, "Get a new haircut." Yeah, you know, because yeah. people ask him all the time. Oh, my pediatrician is is against the vaccine. He said you need to get a new pediatrician. Right.
1: It, it's hard to that's cut it. in that that straight hairline with the razor when you're yelling <laughs> snowflake at your at your person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, understood.
2: Well, and you can ask her if she's on ivermectin too, Jerry. You know. Maybe. Oh my God,
0: that, that's that. She sent me a link from Rumble. or Rumble.tv, which is the place where YouTube people go after they get kicked off.
3: Yeah. So. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Yeah, this ivermectin thing won't die. No, no.
1: Now, you said something just uh, a minute ago as far as people who have both natural and vaccination are are Mm -hmm. in in the best boat. Does it matter which one you got first, whether you got sick after getting vaccinated or, or the other way around?
3: Yeah, so that's a good question. I suspect it doesn't, but those studies haven't been done yet. They're in progress. I just looked at a paper on the train today. Even people who recovered from SARS number one back in 2003, right? They have some some people still living from then, and they got a dose of SARS-CoV-2 vaccine. They have the same huge uh, broad antibody response, so it's something about being infected with these related coronas. But I think uh, vaccination followed by an infection, it will be good as well. In fact, I think that's how most uh, human vaccines work. You get these little infections. You get some incursions of virus in you and they give you a little boost and you don't even know it. You don't even feel ill. And so I think it works in both directions. I I
1: think that's the kind of the the boat I'm in. I mean, I'm either I'm like Jeff. I got it prior to I just I was just asymptomatic. Or I've, I've I got it after one of the one yeah. of the two at some yeah. point in the last year and a half.
3: Yeah, I I think. See, I think eventually this is what's going to happen to most of the world. We'll, people will get vaccinated, and then they'll get these little boosts, and then we'll get widespread immunity, and and then it will really, it'll just be another common cold from year to year.
0: So it just becomes part of the kind of the annual health health
3: plan. Yes, yes, it will because you see now. The really sick people are the ones who are not vaccinated. If everyone were vaccinated and infected, or both, you would just have mild infections. I had a friend who, uh, fully vaccinated, he got, he got infected. He started to feel scratchy throat. He went and got tested. He was positive. He said, "If I didn't know this was COVID, I would just think I had a, a summer cold." Yeah, he said it's nothing. He wouldn't even pay attention to it. And that's what we're going to happen. That's what will happen to COVID eventually. It'll be a summer cold, and a lot of people you won't even take notice. Yeah.
1: Is it possible to to make a vaccine that you take orally? I'm just thinking if you put this in Mountain Dew, it'd probably take care of the situation,
3: you know, all by itself. Yeah, it's a, People are working on it. You can, uh, you can, so you can put it in a vector that will reproduce in your intestine. And the interesting thing about mucosal uh, surfaces is that you immunize one, they all get immunized, right? So if you take a, a vaccine that will reproduce in your intestine, your respiratory tract mucosa is also immunized. So yes, it could be, it's being worked on. I don't know how, how, you know, close it is to being licensed or anything.
2: Well, would that have more sterilizing immunity properties if it's in your
3: nasal passages as well? or? Uh, it depends. So, in general, uh, these antibodies that are in your mucosa, they tend to decline pretty rapidly. And so um, I don't think it would be any better. However, there's one exception. The, the papillomavirus vaccine is actually one of the only human vaccines that stops infection because the antibodies in the mucosa remain high for reasons that I don't believe are understood. So it's theoretically possible that if you did immunize mucosal surfaces, it could it could endure. But for all the viruses we know, influenza, uh, rotaviruses, any, any respiratory pathogen or GI pathogen, the, the mucosal immunity goes away really quickly.
2: Could a future variant or mutation be more transmissible, or would it have to be an entirely new virus for that to be the case?
3: Well, in theory, it could be, but this virus is, in my opinion, already really transmissible. I think when it emerged in China, it was already transmissible, right? It's spread around the world. Yeah. And what, what? How more transmissible can you get? Now, that brings up a good point. Some people say that Delta goes through your masks, right? It can jump from a, a person who walks by you in the hall and that's all nonsense. That's just not true. Those properties have not changed. A mask will still work. Distancing will still work. Uh, I mean, this is the Part of the problem when the press starts to call it more transmissible, people think, ah, a mask is not going to work. Why am I going to wear a mask? But that's not true. Uh, So to change that property would be really hard to do, and I don't think it's happening. You know, I look in terms of what's selecting for a virus to change, right? And it's already really good at something. There's not going to be a lot of selection to get better for that.
2: So, I mean, do you have any idea what made the um, Delta outcompete the other ones that we had going around here?
3: No, uh, I don't. and I mean, I think in maybe five years we'll learn, but the that virus has a lot of changes. It has about 20 changes scattered throughout a, a number of viral proteins, not just the spike, right? Everyone focuses on the spike because it has two or three changes that make it less able to be blocked by antibodies right but i don't think that's a, that's only what makes it more fit i think changes in other viral proteins could do that as well but do learning that is really hard right because you can't do experiments in people so you end up you have to work in the lab and you end up doing surrogates right cells in culture or animal models they're all surrogates because they're not people and what You never know if what you learn tells you what's happening in people. You just get hints. So what does,
0: and this is a little bit of a change of pace, what do either the, maybe not the CDC, but whichever organizations speak for public health, what do they need to do differently to pass on better information that could include actually passing on better information? But it's it's the message and the method.
3: Well, many countries have a a CDC equivalent. Many states in the U.S. have a a CDC equivalent, right? But the national CDC in the U.S. cannot tell states what to do, right? They can only make suggestions. And only the state CDCs can decide. And part of the problem is that... public health gets politicized, right? Some politicians grab it as a political uh, wedge and they know their constituents don't like vaccines. So they say, you can't have a (laughs) a vaccine mandate. Maybe that's going to get me reelected. And public health agencies have to fight that, right? So public health agencies in a state may say, we need a mask mandate. And then the governor says, no, And we're all fighting about that now. In many states, there are legal battles going on. So in my opinion, this is is not the way to do public health. You can't make it a political issue. You can't fight over it. You have to have your public health agency say something and then follow it. No debate. Now, you may think it's not a correct outcome, but you can talk about that. But you can't pass laws to prevent them executing their mandate. I think that's the biggest problem we're having now. And I don't think I've ever seen this to this extent. I mean, it's it's been around in the last 10, 20 years or so, but before that, never. Uh, and now it's worse than ever because, you know, our politics are totally polarized in this country. So politicians grab whatever they can. But when you think about it, you know, a government is there to Take care of people. I really do think a government is to take care of people. Some parties think it's not their primary job. And that part of that is health, keeping your people healthy. And so you need to get to them what they need done, and you can't fight over it. And so that's what I think needs to be done. But frankly, it's never going to happen in this country because we're not really one country. We're 50 countries, right? Every state is pretty much independent. And you're never going to change that. So. Some states have really good public health policy and agencies and they don't fight with the, their state politicians and others don't. And it's really unfortunate because you've seen the states that have issues. They're having huge outbreaks and people are dying and they don't need to be dying. It's really yeah. – I really feel bad about That's it sad. because it's they're, they're humans and I do think we're all in this together. We, we should be helping each other, right?
0: So how does the healthcare industry – which seems to be kind of gasping at fumes a little from a people resources frame, like nurses are overworked and doctors are overworked and hospitals are overfull. That doesn't seem sustainable for long-term good public health. Isn't that kind of the uns- one of the, uh, maybe it's not unspoken, but not spoken enough, particularly from the we're all in this together. We're placing huge strains on the healthcare system, are we not?
3: Well, you have to understand that the healthcare system is designed to take care of the steady state illness, right, in any community. We're in a really unusual situation where we're overburdening and they, they don't have enough beds. They don't have enough ICUs, et cetera. But in normal times, they're fine. And you can't have excess capacity because they lose money and then they go out of business, right? So that's why we are where we are now. And it's a very rare an uh, incident like a pandemic that taxes the system and makes them all tired and makes them unable to care for patients and so forth. But normally this is not an issue. And there's, I don't think there's any way we could accommodate it because you cannot have X, X percent excess capacity. It's just not financially achievable. The real thing is to prevent the pandemic in the first place. And that's the, um, that's the charge of research. You know, this one could have been prevented. I'm 100% convinced we could have stopped this in China had we had the right drugs available, had we developed them after SARS-1. We had all the right information, but nobody jumped on it. And part of the problem is that companies don't want to make drugs for diseases that don't exist, right? They don't want to do it. So who should be paying for it? Well, That would be the job, in my opinion, of the government to fund research on getting those drugs to a point where if there were an outbreak, we could then start testing them in in bigger numbers. But we didn't do that. We didn't have the foresight. So did we learn? Did we learn? Because there's going to be another pandemic for sure. There's going to be flu influenza pandemics. There's going to be more coronavirus and others, I guess. Are we going to be ready? Have we learned a lesson? The problem is that as time passes, people forget. And, you know, it's a generational thing. And, and then if this if there's no pandemic like this for 100 years, we will have forgotten all the lessons, unfortunately. That's what I think.
1: Based on past performance, I'm going to go with no. We, we probably will <laughs> <laughs>
3: I agree. Yeah. So I'm sorry to be so cynical. But, yeah, I, no. I would agree with yeah. that. Yeah.
1: You fit in just fine. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm a cynic for sure. I mean, I like humanity. I think we've done amazing things. I think we have some issues, but we're animals in the end, right? And you see what animals do to each other. So we've done pretty well, but we can improve. There's no doubt about it. It's just a race if we're going to wipe the planet out before we improve things. <laughs> That's
0: not a great race to be in.
3: No. No. No, I agree.
1: Well, one of our last questions was how do we get past this or do we ever? Or is, is this the, the new norm going forward?
3: No, this will be over and forgotten for sure. Uh, As I said, Hmm. eventually it will burn through uh, most of the population. You know, I think with every wave we get more. The the last wave did bump up vaccinations to over a million a day in the U.S., right? It was below half a million. It went back. So that's good. So every wave there are going to be more vaccinations. We're getting now licensing of vaccines. Yeah. So I think that helps a bit. Uh, We get mandatory vaccination in many places. So, slowly, that's going to... Eventually, enough
1: people are going to either be naturally or... Or
3: Or infected. Infected or or vaccinated, and we'll get there. Unfortunately, the death toll is going to be high, but eventually enough people will be immunized so that, as I said, it becomes a common cold. And when that is, I think the bulk bulk of all the infections uh, will, will likely be another year or two, in my opinion. Some people think a little bit longer, but... I originally thought it would be over this fall because I assumed we could get most at least of the U.S. vaccinated, yeah. but I was wrong. And uh, the rest of the world is another story altogether. And so that's going to take a while. And, you know, if if you want to travel and you want to go to a country where there are few va- people vaccinated, you have to think twice, right? Yeah. Because, um, of course, if you're fully vaccinated, you should – but you don't want to get a cold on your no. vacation, no. Yeah. right? Yeah. So <laughs> Anyway, so yes, this ends, um, and then we are slowly forgetting it, and it becomes another, you know, common cold. Basically, we may, we may not even need to vaccinate against it at, at some point. Hmm. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I agree. I think so. I think it's going to. So we, the reason I think so is because there are four other coronaviruses that infect humans and just cause common colds. And we don't. E- Most of us get infected every few years, get the sniffles, sore throat. You don't even know it. You don't. There are no vaccines. There are no antivirals. Very few people die. And these probably started as pandemics hundreds of years ago when the population was much smaller. We didn't notice it. So that's why. That's why I and, and many others think that that's the the fate of SARS-CoV two as well, which would be good. Yeah.
2: So are there? E- are there any other scary viruses that that are uh, being looked at, or, or are we safe for a while?
3: <laughs> well, the problem is that you know there, every animal has its own collection of viruses, right? And the two, the three of the biggest concern. First of all, the birds, right, because they're mobile, they have lots of influenza viruses in them, so they're always sources of new influenza viruses. Then uh, bats are also mobile. They have a lot of viruses. They're 20% of all mammals, so there are a lot of them, and they're in contact with people in many parts of the world. We don't really know how many viruses they have or what kinds, and we keep looking, and we find more. And then rodents are 40% of all mammals. It's huge, and everybody has rodents around them. Um, A study was just done in China where they looked at rodents for coronaviruses, and they found them... I think 35% of the rodents they looked in, they found a new coronavirus of some kind. And most of the rodents were in areas where there were people like train stations and hotels. So there are plenty of viruses in those three uh, kinds of animals that uh, are could potentially infect us. Now, we don't know if they're threats or not because nobody has studied them. And that's what we need to do to get a sense, all right, are these Rat virus is a problem. We need to know that, so we need to be doing more work on it. Okay.
2: I just if there's any, did you have any other questions, Jerry? Or
0: do not want yeah. to be sensitive to your, yeah, time, to your time, which you've been generous with. It's been a great conversation. Oh,
3: my pleasure. I always like. I love talking about viruses, <laughs> and you guys have good questions, and it's. Uh, and I'm. I know that this will be a different audience from from ours, so it's important to uh, disseminate. You know, I, I totally get it. My. Um, my time is everyone's that's the way i look oh, at
2: it oh yeah so much appreciate that and the work that you're doing too like i say communicating to you know the lay people i think is so important in in these times so uh, yeah i look forward to your virology course online too uh,
3: yeah i am getting the the studio up and running now in the next couple of weeks i wanted to start it in september so um i think i can do that I mean, the sound may not be the greatest, but I I can get recording stuff in there. And the Internet's pretty good. I did some Zoom calls today from there. It was fine. Will you promise
0: us not to uh, grade Jeff on a curve when he takes (laughs) your class?
3: (laughs) I'm going to... I'm going to experiment with – I'm going to have quizzes during the lectures, right, online quizzes where people can answer and then we can see the the bar graph Ah, of the school. okay. I think that's useful to see if people are getting – Right. And then uh, I have to experiment with uh, giving them – you Know exams that they can take on their own to see how they're doing. I think it's worthwhile to get that kind of feedback. So, see,
1: the problem with grading on a curve, especially in this course, is, is <laughs> Jeff would be the type of student they got 110 on the test, <laughs> right. so 10 points got taken <laughs> off everybody's score. You know, here I am. I thought I did pretty good with my 85. Well, I'm you going know, home that's with that's 75 that's now. Thanks, Jeff.
3: That's an extreme. <laughs> he, he, you know, if the average is. You know, in the 80s, then it's still curved. Right? Yeah. I just I just did a summer virology. I curved it substantially because in the summer, it's four days a week. Uh, for four weeks, it goes by really quickly, and, and it's hard to keep up. So the average is much lower than during the regular semester where it's twice a week. So I had to curve it substantially. But, but you know, most years I give I, – I find the highest grade uh, and give it an A+, especially if it's, you know – Far far apart from everybody mm-hmm. else, that person has done really exceptionally. They get the one A plus uh, in the class. Nice. Well,
2: I'll now work towards that. Now you know what to that. shoot for, Jeff. Yes, there you there go. You go. <laughs> and I want a certificate too to put yeah. on my wall. So. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> yeah, we can do that. We we talked about that on the live stream, giving out certificates. Yeah, yeah that'd be Very fun. Cool. We have to make it fun for sure.
2: Well, thanks again so much for uh, for doing this with us. It was so beneficial. Um, so and will My
3: pleasure. And uh, I'm happy to do it anytime. If you want to do it again in the future, I'm here. You know where to reach yep, us. Awesome. I
2: sure do.
0: Excellent. And we're back. And I actually have a question for Jeff. Uh oh. Yes. Did it meet your expectations? I mean, we kind of joked about the man crush and stuff, but this guy's been a big part of your pandemic life and media. And the fact that you got to talk with him pretty freaking cool but did it meet your expectations
2: and then some yeah i mean that he spent the whole hour well, of course you know he did a uh, a zoom meeting with our local group like a q a kind of thing on there he's happy to do that kind of stuff and you know when he says that on his podcast you go yeah sure you know but yeah he, he took us up on that one he was more than happy to uh to do this one
0: were his answers kind of like what you expected or did anything surprise you?
2: Yeah, no. I mean, keep in mind that I listen to most of the podcasts and then I, I definitely listened to the weekly Q&A, which is kind of like the, the current thing from, you know, a mass audience. So people that are asking kind of questions like, like kind of what we were doing. So a lot of those same kind of questions came up during that stuff. So I, I was kind of hoping you you know cuz I know you guys had a lot of questions um you know curiosities and things like that and so it was more to to kind of kind of uh help you and and the audience our audience out there to you know kind of kind of be at more at peace cuz that's what my, the the whole uh, journey that I've been on since having coded, cuz it was it was very shortly after that, and I can't remember how, nobody really remembers all those kind of house stories, how I found the podcast to begin with. But, you know, that, because at that time, I started listening to it. That was before vaccines were were out, of course. And so, but they were all part of, you know, through their recorded um, podcast, they were on that same kind of trajectory. In other words, they were getting the the preprints from the vaccine manufacturers and you know, kind of talking about different uh, technologies that, that might work, some that, you know, don't work.
0: We'll add this to the list of things that I, I wish I would have asked. But was, was he always like, you know, the vaccines are coming. Like, was he always confident that it was going to be available as quickly as they were?
2: No, no, because I remember early on the podcast, and actually he talked about this on some other podcast that he was on. It might have been that Lex Friedman, that he was kind of... Skeptical on that they could really come out, you know, because he knew about the MR, uh, mRNA technology, but he wasn't confident that putting it into a lipid encapsulation was the way, you know, that it was going to work. So it pleasantly surprised him when, you know, when it went to trial that that actually did work. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, the whole team on that podcast was pulling for an answer but i don't think any of them really expected it to come out that quickly
0: i just thought of yet another well we'll have them back (laughs) (laughs) like another ugly fork in the road because the science was like way faster than everybody thought and the people who created this or were the leads they're going to win a nobel prize
2: right well, the ones that developed mRNA, I think, already did win a Nobel Prize. But you know, they're going to have ago. to win but it for this. Yeah,
0: they're going to win. I would assume something.
2: Yeah, I would guess so. Yeah,
0: there's going to be probably multiple people that get this, and it will be yet another, just another shitstorm. Mm. That, that <laughs> look the antis the antis oh, are yeah. are this will not that their opinions probably already aren't cemented in. But they're going to add a couple more feet of cement on top of it because that's just the medical establishment, you know, saluting its own. Yeah. Cuz they're all in on it, man. They're
1: all in on Big it. Pharma.
2: They, Big Pharma. Big yeah. Pharma. They would have the same <laughs>
1: reaction if like the former guy won, won the Nobel Prize for empathy and 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 you know, listening to others or something. <laughs>
2: Whoa!
0: <laughs> if you believe that there's going to be this hardcore group that their identity is built around digging in, digging in against this, digging in against, you know, imaginary things like critical race theory, just digging in against.
2: You think this would be one of those kind of things like one more piece of evidence that big pharma is all... Out to get us, kind of thing. Is that what you're? Because I don't know why the prize itself. Well, would I mean, be a big it's basically.
0: It's- I mean, it, there, it doesn't get any more prestigious. So it's going to be huge news, and you could look at it as the people that developed a vaccine in kind of record time to help stem a pandemic, or you could think of it as just another example of the establishment trying to force us to believe that vaccines are good. Of course they won the Nobel Prize.
1: Oh, no, they go further than that. It would be the Illuminati awarding the people who came up with the population control device.
0: That's almost like the cherry on top. If they don't win the Nobel, their narrative would actually probably crumble in their head a little more if they didn't than if if they did. Because if they did, it just justifies the... Entire conspiracy, top to bottom, the elites are in on it.
1: Honestly, I think it, it doesn't matter. If if they won it, they would say, see, that's that's them just, you know, putting the final layer on the cake. And, it, and if they didn't, they'd say, see, why wouldn't they win it if it was so, you know, so important? What are yeah, they trying so, to hide? Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. So it wow. doesn't matter which way it goes. They're going to spin it oh, yeah, to yeah. fit in yep. into their already warped
2: delusion. That's what conspiracies do. So, anyway, back back to you know the podcast. So, were your questions pretty much answered from that? I mean, do you think that would, if there was anybody in our audience, and I doubt there would be any, that were vaccine hesitant? Do you think that would have kind of calmed anybody's nerves, or no, 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 no? Because I, I, cause I Cause don't... he's not a he's not a big pharma. He's he's a you know virologist.
0: But, but, but they don't I mean they don't see the difference.
1: I think a lot of people that are already vaccinated understand it a little bit more after listening to him for an hour, but I don't think anybody listened to to the hour conversation that we had with him and is now frantically trying to get a, yeah.
0: a, an appointment
1: yeah. to go get a shot.
0: Yeah. They have their own science. He could be Right. It wouldn't matter. I don't think they're going to believe him. I actually became Probably more booster shot hesitant after this conversation.
1: Yeah, that was a kind of interesting part of it when because both oh, me yeah, and yeah. you automatically just assumed booster yeah. shot whole new whole new shot got to come up with a whole new batch. No, you're just gonna get more of the same. Just yeah. you know, yeah. Come
2: come on in. Now I think when we recorded that, I don't know if the the mu variant was becoming on the radar. I think that was more of a. Or what? I think that's
1: come at least a prominence. Yeah, sits. and what he's
2: what he's you know he's and the crew has said lately is that shouldn't be a problem either.
1: And what's what's this what's this mu what's mu what is that?
2: That's a Greek letter. Oh, is it?
1: See, mm-hmm. I went and bought
2: Epsilon.com. I
1: figured that'd be the I'm you know I, I guess <laughs> I put my money in the wrong place. Well, that
2: might have been one, but it just Lambda. it's not like com, the hurricanes. Just if case. they don't if they don't you know do a lot, you don't remember. That's why you got yeah. it cheap. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. But yeah, so I mean, what was kind of interesting is, I'm trying to remember when he recorded this, but he went on the Lex Friedman podcast very recently. And who is, dropped, who is
0: uh, Lex Friedman?
2: I had to look him up. So he's he's like an AI guy. I think he went to MIT. I mean, he's super smart.
0: So he's designing the replicants or is he designing the the AI that's going to basically take all our jobs?
2: I I don't know. I I never got that deep into who he was. I just want, wanted to find out some of his guests. And I, he had I'm like, sure he's um, not
0: willing to
1: let us in on his diabolical scheme until he's about ready to hatch it. You know how they do in the Bond movies. You know, they just tell you the whole scheme right before they're about to kill you. Absolutely.
2: But yeah, I mean, he's had you know, like Elon Musk has been on his show. I think uh, Josh Rogan. Brad Two Mike. guys. That There's suck. a lot of controversial, huh?
0: Two guys that suck. Elon Musk and Joe Rogan.
1: So he swims in the same waters as the intellectual dark web. He's plays in that pool. He's sipping sure. from the same canteen, right? Which to me, so he's one of them. That was well. Is I mean,
0: so is he one of them? Is, I, is, I. I. Is he, I. do
1: is, is he an intellectual dark web wannabe? Is he just not
3: quite? Or is he adjacent? Uh, yeah. I. Uh, I. Yeah. Is I
2: I he? Think a he's kind of like. I think he's kind of like Joe Rogan, where he has conversations. With them, and that doesn't mean he necessarily supports their view. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, he's got 1.27 million subscribers. And so if he's talking to the audience that listens in to those dark web type people, uh, and he's the one, he had been listening to the TWIV podcast, interestingly enough, and reached out to have him on. And he actually flew him, I think he's in Austin, Texas, and flew Vincent out to uh, record live and in person with them there, and Do you wear a mask uh he did not I don't know how far apart they were. you never saw the the, the setup, but um, well, I think that Lex was vaccinated minor yeah, I'm pretty sure he was so he's not anti-vax okay. but he converses with people that are that are not he,
1: but anyway, my, he my, my provides a platform to them.
2: Well, some conversation, much. but but that's yeah. that's kind of where I'm going with this is hopefully, and so far um, I'm looking at the views, two hundred seventy nine thousand people from his audience have listened to the YouTube. Now I don't know what what the podcast, you know, because audio podcast is a whole nother yeah. count there. So he's reaching a new audience. In fact, on um, on the live Q and A last night. There was quite a few that came, you know, that that said, "Hey, we were we listened to okay. Lex Friedman, that's how we found you," kind of thing. So he's going to get the the Lex bump, but I'm, you know, so I'm number one. I'm super impressed that you know that he was able to go on a podcast to get that kind of reach to an audience. He, you know, he's not speaking to the choir.
1: Oh no, no, I'm. Yeah, he talked to a lot more people that are Vax hesitant on the Lex Friedman show.
2: Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, uh, that'll, that'll be my recommendation. It's, it's like a three-hour podcast, but it's well worth, it's fascinating, the conversation. You okay. know, the information is not new from, you know, uh, the hour that everybody just listened to, but the back-and-forth conversation, the kind of questions that Lex was asking— you know, we're really a little more really confrontational good. or not real. No, not confrontational. I don't think at all. But, you know, because he had, a, you know, Vincent had a really good response to whatever that question was. And it seemed like, you know, Lex was hmm. okay. um, good with. Well, but the other point I was going to make is he's friend Lex's friends with Joe Rogan. And well, as a member of the
1: intellectual dark web, I would as, assume as that comes with the card, you know right <laughs> you get the handshake and yep. y- you get to be joe rogan's friend that's, I mean that's the the main draw i'm uh, i'm assuming
2: yeah. so so Lex had recommended to Joe Rogan that he have Vincent on his show. Which would be amazing. I mean, Uh, if nothing
1: else, if he went on Rogan, because
0: you want to see him get high.
1: No, yeah, well, that, yeah, yeah, I want to see Vincent hit hit a blunt. You you caught me. But just the fact that, same thing. We heard about you on the Lex Friedman show. There's a lot more people listen to Joe Rogan Experience than listen to the Lex Friedman show. Yeah, and if that, if he can siphon off a. Just a, you know, a a, a minuscule amount of of Joe Rogan listeners that start tuning into TWIV on a weekly basis. But it's not just that. That's a win,
2: you know. But it's not just that, is to, you know, set the record straight. Yeah. I mean, because, okay, so. You're not doing that. people People are aware that Joe Rogan had a little bout with Covid, you know, anti-vax. Yeah, I'm not going to take it because I'm super healthy because I work out and I take all these vitamins. Joe Rogan, but what does he do? As soon as he finds out he's got it and starts feeling bad, is and he's got a video clip. Maybe we can post yeah, we'll a post link to a, a, a link want. to the video <laughs> clip
1: of him and Tom Segura talking about but, his COVID
2: experience. Well, but yeah, I mean, basically, he he admits he threw the kitchen sink at it. So you know, I think with seven different things, seven or eight different things. That to the John Q. public, his listeners, Isn't could not afford or have access to, including ivermectin, which he's still, you know, uh, you know, a big proponent of.
1: Now, and like you said, they were talking about in the video. They're talking about how CNN was saying he was taking horse paste. Right. What he said is true. He's not taking horse paste. He he got a prescription from a doctor for a human version of that,
2: which drug, which exists. Yeah, uh, and doctors can do that. But people that
1: can't get that are turning to horse paste because they hear exactly. people like Joe Rogan talking about I took this. Well, it's the same thing. Well, it's not. It, it is. It is the same thing, but it's in a, right. a much higher concentration. You know, in, in a
0: horse. So hang, wait a minute. Hang yeah. on. So is is that really where the the ivermectin,
1: ivermectin craze came is. from? Ivermectin is a, a parasitic, from what I understand. It is is anti. Just to fight
2: parasites. It's yeah.
1: fight parasites, right? Right.
2: Okay. There Our is dog a, gets
1: it. Yeah. There yeah, is Jeff a. Dog there is a. a there's a version for dogs. There's a version for horses. There's a version for other types of land, right. livestock that get worms and other parasites. There's also a version. It's very rarely, rarely prescribed, but there is a human version of of the medicine that is available for us but it doesn't do anything for covid
2: no it's, it's mainly for people that travel overseas to countries where you you know you get parasites yeah. from the drinking water whatever so there's you know there's it, there's a small use for it but, but like rogan was talking about he threw the whole kitchen sink at it. one of the
1: things he threw at it was the and i can't pronounce it but the monoclonal have you say that say it for me jeff you listen to have enough monoclonal antibodies now that's probably more than likely the thing that because he talked about he was feeling bad on Sunday he threw the kitchen sink at it and he was feeling pretty good on Monday. Well, that's the same yeah. thing that they gave to Trump and that's what he said in, in the interview in the interview with Tom Segura because he asked him what is that he goes that's the same stuff that they gave to Trump yeah. and it's it's like a steroid and you are no. going to feel better
2: right mainly what it is it's factory produced antibodies that preempt in other words when you get COVID it takes a while for your own immune system to kick in, to create antibodies, to respond to it. So that's where you can start, if it doesn't act quick enough, it gets into your lungs and causes all kinds of trouble. So the monoclonals, primarily they're designed for people that, are, that have weakened immune systems, people, you know, elderly, or people that are on cancer treatment and things like that, that have a weak immune system. Or
1: for people that have multi-million dollar contracts with Spotify and can afford it.
2: Or that... Right. But I mean, you know, so what it does is it is as soon as you're injected, it's, it's like in the first couple of days of your infection. So it gets in there and fights it with these imitation antibodies. You know, that could be what, but he's not saying, you know, he's. he's well, it's, still... it's the same thing as saying, you know,
1: I had a headache and I took two aspirin and I prayed about it and I laid down. And when I woke up, my headache was gone and I'm giving the credit to the prayer. That's the same thing that Rogan's doing. He, he's saying, oh, I threw all this stuff at it, but it's kind of like the horse paste, you know, for lack of a better term, is is what cured me, or at least that's the impression that well, was little, given off a, during the a little interview." He's more
0: subtle than that. Yeah, he, he doesn't. He doesn't. Um, he doesn't say that it was. It was the ivermectin that helped him. It's, but, he's, it, you know but he goes. It felt like pretty damn good on Monday. That, you know that was his, that, that was kind of his thing. You it's know, it was, like a. It's he talks like a kid's sugary cereal commercial. It's part <laughs> of a good breakfast. Yeah, part, part, part of, of a yeah, healthy breakfast. You have breakfast. two
1: eggs and potatoes now, and, and, and you know orange the, juice and everything else. The yeah, the sugary cereal is pretty good.
0: The honeycomb is not very healthy. Yeah, like the ivermectin does nothing. You know
1: what? It reminded me of, and I I can't remember who it was, but. Jamie Raskin asking somebody repeatedly if Joe Biden won the election and he kept saying he's the president. Isn't he? He's the president. Isn't he? He's the president. He never, he never would answer the question. The guy from here. Yeah. Yeah. That guy, the, uh, the, 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 um, from tour guide guy. Yeah. So to me, that, that's kind of the way that conversation went. It kind of, it made a lot of implications, but never really came out and said anything. But, it left it to people to decide for their own. Right. But and and by kinda, the way, it kind of pushed it's a, them in one direction. It's, you
0: know? it's, the, it's There's no reason not to. Why wouldn't you? You know, like there's nothing There's nothing wrong with it. And yeah. to people that don't have access to the, quote, kitchen sink. Yeah. And the only thing that they can do is drive down to tractor supply and buy yes, a exactly. giant tube of, of stuff that makes them go to the bathroom. More people are going to do that. And then he spent, you know, the rest of the time in the clip basically whining about CNN and people wished me dead. How could they be so mean? Like this yeah, was like yeah. hurt, emoting yeah. Joe Rogan. Did they really?
1: Well, very unlike he, his show he didn't pay normally. Attention to it, yeah. I did like the idea that they were smoking cigars while they were podcasting, though. I, I <laughs> do like that as, you know, a possible
2: move towards. What else would they but, do? Uh, on that, the, But the other interesting thing is, you know, because kind of my suspicion is a mono, monoclonals are probably what I mean, you know, he's young in good condition. So he might have, you know, been one of the people that cleared it quickly without anything. Yeah. But let's let's say. But what he's done with the monoclonals, because that's a fake antibody, his own body didn't get the memory to produce those antibodies. So he could get uh, it again and so not if he have gets again, the protection that he would normally be have. Straight back to square one again.
1: So he doesn't, even if he's vaccinated, he doesn't have the double protection, like Vincent was talking about, having that where, where your immune system seems to go into like a hyperdrive, if you've had both been infected and the
2: vaccination. No, because he cheated. Exactly. So I'm saying, have the workout. He cheated. You know, of, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, no, I mean that's basically what that is. I mean, because again, that's mainly for elderly, immune suppressed people. But he went to the fr- front of the line. Yeah. You know, most doctors would not prescribe that to a young, healthy person.
0: Well, you get a doctor to prescribe anything do you though. So. Well, I think, yeah.
2: especially if you make millions of dollars a year, so. Find the right doctor. Feel good and uh, make an appointment. The tremendous damage that Rogan is doing now is, is you know, he went through COVID yeah. thanks to science, basically. And it's interesting, you know, monoclonal is, is emergency use only also. It's not fully authorized. But he, he took that, didn't take the vaccine. So, you know, we don't know what the long-term effects of um, monoclonals are. But so his story now is no big deal. You know, you, you get the stuff. Covid's no big deal. Ivermectin seems to work. Brett Weinstein was on there promoting that, scaring people back away from the from the vaccine. And how many followers viewers does Rogan have? Millions. Yeah, Millions. Phenom- yeah. I mean,
1: when he when he does his podcast, he broadcasts as they're recording it to be disseminated out. It's upload. Well, it used to be. I don't think it is anymore. But it used to be in the uh, back in the day. He would upload it to YouTube Live while it was happening, and then the podcast came out afterwards. And at any given time, you could log in, and there'd be thirty five, forty thousand people watching it live.
2: But now, let me ask this: uh, Didn't he get in trouble a little bit with Spotify for something he said? They they have no, I've, I've seen so many
1: clickbait yeah. you know cl- clickbait articles about spotify employees are going to strike if 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 they don't get rid of rogan or, or this or, or these um these 18
0: episodes are missing you know Ooh, oh you they, know. Definitely, yeah. they definitely they definitely pulled some of them yeah yeah i mean they, they definitely did that but when you yeah. when you when you get a hundred million dollar plus contract for five years that's part of the freedom that you lose
2: yeah right
0: you know they, they own that's, you that's that's
2: my question who, who, is, who were the ones that they
1: pulled stuff um like extreme right-wing people that he had on there i mean who what were the stuff that were like
2: alex jones probably I mean, might Alex been.
1: jones ones are still on there
2: maybe not all of them yeah well, YouTube's a different thing, but you're talking Spotify. No, no, no
1: like Spotify. Yeah, cuz his whole catalog moved over to Spotify. You know, the thousand whatever episodes moved moved over to, to Spotify when he went there.
2: And it's mostly but, dudes. Yeah, but, it's, but uh, some him. of the some of the right, back yeah.
1: catalog was taken down. Yeah.
2: But yeah, so so my question, the reason I I, I asked about Spotify is this storyline he's got going on about the kitchen sink fix me. Mhm. And then now continuing the story about the vaccines don't work. To me, Spotify needs to step up to the plate and do a little bit more. <laughs> well, they... I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you don't, you don't have a lot of confidence either then, I guess. Okay. Oh! Jeff. I could dream. I, I could dream.
0: I, I admire <laughs> your... Your level of... of of hope that mm-hmm. somehow the the quote the right thing is, just. is part of their DNA when it comes yeah. to Joe Rogan. It ain't happening. Or Spotify. That's what I mean. That Spotify, yeah. especially yeah. around Joe Rogan. Yeah, there is, there is almost no chance.
1: If if you're waiting for Spotify to save us,
2: no, no. no like I say,
1: I I Ooh. didn't think when I better take it. You better get a Snickers, man.
2: You. Can be the one. <laughs> No, I had no hope that that was going to happen either. Yeah. I, I'm just saying that, you know, if companies had positive motives that want to protect the health of their listeners, they would. But Well, Jeff, no, when you it put
0: it that way.
1: I mean. Yeah. Well, un, un, unfortunately, a, a, a lot of times the truth, you know, gets 500 downloads and the bullshit gets 40,000 people watching it live as it's
0: being disseminated. So, I I don't think there's much that Joe Rogan not only can do, but would want to do for Spotify to quote take action. They're in with him for nine figures, yeah, for at least what three more years, four more years, and he's good for business. That's they probably think a nine-figure deal with him was a good deal. Yeah, there's no way. They are going to, he would have to just completely melt down. And there's no way he's going to do that, especially based on this last episode. Because
2: Because he's just asking questions.
0: Uh, and, and, you know, and telling people to do their, do their research and use ivermectin as a as a part of a well-balanced treatment plan. Yeah, hey, talk to your doctor. That's
2: right. Well, here's what I'm waiting for is him to come out with, you know, the Joe Rogan line of kitchen sink supplements to take to head off the COVID. Uh, so you,
1: you can't, you can't do that. You can't. You
2: got to have a prescription for liable all that stuff. If it didn't work. Yeah.
1: Supplements, you got to make sure that whatever you're selling does absolutely nothing. So you can't be sued, you know, because you can't do anything bad. So. Then you yeah, can sell but, it as a supplement he, and not have to worry about
2: it. Yeah, but a couple of the things that the kitchens think he mentioned was vitamin C and vitamin D, so well, yeah, I'm that. sure that's already that, in his you can, repertoire. Yeah, you can sell of, the hell out of. What, are
0: you coming out against vitamin C and vitamin D, Jeff?
2: Hmm? I'm not. I, I take them both. B
0: only? anti But,
2: but I, I don't get the the vitamin C IV drip like Joe Rogan did. So You know, the direct injection.
0: And and you know what? but I'm not sure which one of you said it, but like you know, ask your doctor. Yeah. The sad part is, there's a lot of people that listen to a show that probably don't have one.
2: Right. You know, right. and or one that you could call up and ask advice I, from. I, totally. Yeah. Like right. their,
0: their doctor is a uh, is the whatever urgent care that they yeah. need at the time. Or there's a lot of people. Um,
1: who are in HMO that that you know they may have a primary doctor, but they don't get to talk to them. You know, it, I, I I can talk, I can speak from experience. Like I went in, uh, had an X ray done, had had some tests done, came back for a follow up, and had some questions. Just expected, well, I'll see the doctor. I'll just ask the doctor when, I, when I'm there, and uh, went in. They 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 ran the test again. Never saw the doctor. And on my way I was leaving. I was like. am I able to, you know, is the doctor available? Can I I talk to the doctor? They said, well, you can email them. I was like, oh, great, great. What's their email? And he said, well, you can log into the portal
2: for the
1: H. Yeah, and I'm like, fuck
2: off. All right, I'm not logging into your portal. Yeah, because he's not going to answer that anyway. There's going to be somebody else going
1: to answer it. I'm gainfully employed. I have health insurance. I don't have a primary doctor that is like, I can reach out to and have a conversation with.
2: And I'm pretty sure the doctor that I have yeah. would not say, yeah, yeah, let me let me give you some ivermectin. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Ask your doctor if
2: ivermectin is right for you. You know, no, because I go to a doctor, not a veterinarian. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but but anyway, I mean, you know, that's that's the world world we're living in, is I don't see the anti vax people moving. Any more than you know, they're digging in even even more, and the anti-mask people are, are digging in more.
0: It feels like there's fewer of them, but they're louder.
2: Mm-hmm. Fewer because yeah. maybe they're dying off because they got. I don't you think know, they're dying off.
0: I, I think you know, I've seen some 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 anecdotal stuff that when companies you know force vaccinations versus being fired, people are getting vaccinated.
2: Yeah. They're just not going to tell their buddies about it. Well,
0: you know, look, I guess you could be a complete hypocrite and yell at the local school board about masks when you're vaccinated. That's a, that's a different level of, uh, of anger though. But it does feel like there that more, like you see the numbers for vaccinations, uh, the vaccination percentage in the United States going up. So just, By math, and I realize, you know, this is not a math podcast, but the more people get vaccinated, the kind of fewer anti-vaxxers they are. But we are hearing about them more. They are well organized. They are loud. Mm -hmm. And they are everywhere. Well, it's kind of like Vince said when he was on on the podcast, that basically
1: this thing is going to run its course through the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And the unvaccinated unvaccinated are going to die at a particular rate but eventually everybody's going to have contracted it at some point and have an immune immunity built up to it and it's going to become just like the common cold and and you won't give it a second thought that's a, it,
0: that that's a that's a very super positive scenario
1: yeah but and like you said that that's kind of how they think a lot of these the, the common colds we deal with now originated as a, a huge the pandemic virus
2: right. that,
1: that mm-hmm. killed you know but when when there wasn't that many of us it, it was you know you didn't it didn't yeah it wasn't as many as it was then. so it wasn't as obvious but yeah th- this will eventually just become an, another you know summer cold or, or winter cold or whatever and we won't
0: give it a second thought well I'm glad that he agreed to do it and glad that you reached out to him and you know that's that was uh that was interesting. I have a very, I have a very quick recommendation. Okay. Into the Night season two is out in net, on Netflix, and what is Into the Night? Into the Night oh, is God. a is a Netflix series set over in Europe, where basically there's a there's a the sun changes. It's I, I want to say science, but basically. The sun kills you. Oh, like it. Like if you're out in the sun, exposure
1: to the sun will dead. kill you. Okay. So, well, everybody's a vampire, season, like
0: that. E- e- pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. Um, but you don't turn into a you don't turn into a uh, a bat or you anything. Know, the called? Walking Dead. Okay. You you basically just die. Hmm. And season one is the story of a group of mismatched people on a uh, commercial airliner flying around in the dark, trying to avoid the sun. Hmm. And it's a, it's a really good, it's a, it was a really good series and season two is out now. And I can't wait to watch it. Is it, is it snow on a plane in the sun? Uh, no, you know what? There, it's not a, it's not, there's not 200 people on it. It's okay. only a handful. Okay. And, hmm. you know, shockingly, they don't all get along and they all have a backstory.
2: Nice. You got anything, Jeff? Um, yeah, I was going to say probably what I would recommend for people is every Wednesday night, um, Vincent and Amy, I can't remember her last name off the top of my head, do a live YouTube it's like a call-in show but it's a comment-in show where you can comment in any questions you have and he tries to get through as many as he can
1: audience driven as far as the content audience driven nice. it's all
2: live stream nice. and it's it's really cool it's like the latest question mm-hmm. so if you want to keep up with that um of course on youtube it gets you know recorded and it's on there so if you want to watch it the next day whatever there you go. can you know kind of catch up that way yeah. but I, I definitely recommend that. Okay. Uh,
1: I got a real quick one, and we'll get out of here. Uh, this episode drops on Sunday the 12th, Monday the 13th, the first three episodes of the show. I recommended a couple episodes back. Why? The, the Last Man, the story where all the men in the world die except for one man is left. And it's why, not, not asking a question why, but why like as in chromosomes. So the show Uh, is the letter Y, colon, The Last Man is the name of it. It comes out on Hulu. The first three episodes drop on Monday the 13th, and it appears that one episode is going to drop every Monday after that
2: for the rest of the season. But I I, I still want to know W-H-Y. Why? Is there Uh, one guy? Actually,
1: I learned a little bit more about it since I first heard about it. It's not just men. It's actually all male mammals in the world instantly die except for one man whoa yeah all right so
2: looking forward to that Look,
0: looks cool.
1: really
2: really interesting
0: we'll probably have a special guest right. maybe for the next
2: one too well that's a full podcast of listening right here
1: <laughs> all right and on that note we'll see y'all in two weeks today. He made me mad, the devil's bad, the devil is a pump, but the, the devil, devil is my friend, friend. the devil is, is my friend. devil is my friend. Wherever I go, the devil
2: go, the devil is my friend. And Godzilla is my friend, Godzilla is my friend. <this> Wherever I go Godzilla, go, Godzilla go, Godzilla is my friend. And Sheridan
1: was my friend, and Brezhnev was my friend. And Andropov, he just popped that off, now Gorbachev is my friend, friend. and Francis Narcher is my friend. <laughs> I'm my
2: friends, love and Rockets hey! it's all my friends, David, David, every one of them relevant, and the queen She's is my friend, and R.E.D. is my friend, friend. Oh, no. my friend.
1: No. and D.E.R.E., you know, know what I mean? Well, someone met a party, and I the end. devil is my friend.